morning. I don't think I said my name earlier. My name is Valentine. Our scripture, uh, hi. <laughs> Our scripture passage comes from the book of Acts, chapter 27, verses 27 through f- 4. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> Acts 27 is where we are. Uh, from the Common English Bible. Dear God, I pray that our hearts and minds would be opened as we read this passage. As we read this passage. On the 14th night, we were being carried across the Adriatic Sea. Around midnight, the sailors began to suspect that land was near. They dropped a weighted line to take soundings and found the water to be about 120 feet deep. After proceeding a little farther, we took soundings again and found the water to be about 90 feet deep. Afraid that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they hurled out four anchors from the stern and began to pray for for daylight. The sailors tried to abandon the ship by lowering the lifeboat into the sea, pretending they were going to lower anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and his soldiers, unless they stay in the ship, they can't be saved from peril. The soldiers then cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before daybreak, Paul urged everyone to eat. He said, this is the 14th day you've lived in suspense and you've not even had a bite to eat. I urge you to take some food. Your health depends on it. None of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said these things, he took bread, gave thanks to God in front of all of them, and broke it and began to eat. Everyone was encouraged and took some food. In all, there were 276 of us on the ship. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. In the morning light, they saw a bay with a sandy beach. They didn't know what land it was, but they thought they might possibly be able to run the ship aground. They cut the anchors loose and left them in the sea. At the same time, they untied the ropes and ran back to the rudders. They raised the foresail to catch the wind and made for the beach. But they struck a sandbar and the ship ran aground. The bow was stuck and wouldn't move, and the stern was broken into pieces by the force of the waves. The soldiers decided to kill the prisoners to keep them from swimming to shore and escaping. However, the centurion wanted to save Paul, so he stopped them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and head for land. He ordered the rest to grab hold of planks or debris from the ship In this way, everyone reached land safely. Good morning, everyone. How's it going? Good morning. morning. Uh, Happy Independence Day. Um, I'll just say one thing about uh, as we celebrate Independence Day, um, we celebrate the declar- signing of the Declaration of Independence and freedom uh, for the U.S. Uh, but that's not a, a 
one point in history. That's not something that we achieved in the past. But we continue uh, to fight and speak on behalf of the, the independence and freedom um, for everyone. Amen. So um, it's an ongoing process because we don't, we don't, not everyone is free. Not everyone is independent, even in our nation. And there are people who need to have uh, their voice, who need to be spoken for and advocated on behalf of. And so as a church, we step in that place just as Jesus sets the captives free, amen, and breaks the chains of people. We participate in God's work of breaking the chains and setting the captives free um, in our nation, in the world, um, in the lives, physically and spiritually and emotionally around us. So I just wanted to um, put that out there as we celebrate. We also, we celebrate, yes, but we also look forward uh, to the work that has yet to be done. Amen. Um, we continue in our Acts series, uh, The Spirit-Infused Multi-Ethnic Church, and I've entitled this sermon today, Cutting Bait, Cutting Bait, for those of you who are fishermen out there. Um, and again, the passage is Acts 27, 27 through 44 from the Common English Bible Version, but I'm going to be addressing all of uh, chapter 27. Um, so if you have your Bibles, please just uh, open those up to Acts chapter 27. But as Christ's church, as followers of Jesus, we have a different vision for the future than that of the world. Let me say that again. As Christ's church, as followers of Jesus, our vision is different for the future than that of the world. Amen? With our words and deeds, we speak life and hope to others around us. That all is not despair. That all is not death and loss. We are the hope of the world. But the people will not believe uh, in this vision, believe in this future, believe in this hope. If we don't live as if this hope, this vision um, is real in our own lives as followers of Jesus. If we do not live trusting in Jesus and his promises. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, um, and thank you for everyone who's gathered in this place. Thank you um, that we can worship in freedom um, in this country, and we celebrate that, and we thank you for that, and we acknowledge those uh, in, the uh, in the church who are persecuted around the world, and we pray for uh, their safety and for boldness and courage to proclaim your faith, even in the, the midst of hostility. Um, May my, uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart um, be, f uh, be worthy and be precious in your sight. And uh, not words as up here. May our community live, live out your word in this place as we go from this place. In Christ's name, amen. So I'm going to need a little help from you guys. And... Uh, and I have a question. What are some of the most dangerous jobs where life is risk, health is risk, future is risk, dangerous jobs? Crab, Crab fishermen, right? Deadliest catch. If any of you have watched Deadliest Catch, anyone else? Logging. What? Logging. Logging, for sure. Logging is a dangerous firefighter. firefighter. 
Anything, anything else you can think of about? Healthcare. Healthcare is dangerous, especially, yeah, especially in recent years, recent year. Teachers. <laughs> what was that, Ruby? Testing planes. Testing planes. Uh, you're right. A test pilot. That's a dangerous job. Firefighters, policemen, uh, first responders. Um, one more. One. Military. Okay. Cami. Uh, yes, lion tamers. <laughs> Amen. Uh, so in our passage, uh, we are coming to the, this is t- t- chapter 27, is the penultimate chapter, which means the ne- a fancy word for next to the last uh, chapter <laughs> in Acts. Um, but uh, Paul is on his, as a prisoner, is on a cargo ship on its way to Rome. Because once again, he's appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen He's appealed to Caesar to hear his case. But meanwhile, he's been incarcerated. He's been in prison for two to three years. So all just sitting and waiting for his trial to happen. But as we know, all the rulers in Jerusalem um, uh, have been kicking the can down the road, saying, I don't want to deal with this next guy. I don't want to deal with this next guy. So Paul has been waiting for justice. And we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, How many people in the world, how many people around us have been waiting for justice, amen, have been falsely or unjustly imprisoned or caught in oppression and have been waiting for justice as people kick the can down the road, kick the can down the road. But Paul has a hope. Paul has a joy. Paul has a strength that doesn't come from the world but that comes from Jesus Christ because he knows that Jesus raises people from the dead. Jesus himself died and came right. He has the power of the resurrection. And this is the thing that Paul is witnessing to, that's testifying to, to everyone he comes in contact with. The God of life, the God of resurrection has got my back. And even if I'm chained, even if I'm prisoned, even if I'm unjustly accused, I know that I have a hope, amen? I know that I have a hope. And he's in a boat now with other prisoners going to Rome, with other sailors who are part of the ship, running the ship, the ship's captain, and also the Roman commander Julius and his soldiers. So there's a military presence. Julius is in charge of the ship, all of its cargo, the prisoners, and all of the people. But back in those days, and still today, we heard um, the deadliest uh, catch mentioned, right? People who work on the sea, that is a dangerous job, right? People who are sailors, people in the military, in the Navy, people who are fishermen, fishing in Alaska, or crabbers, that's a dangerous job because the sea, the ocean, is unpredictable. The ocean, the sea, is powerful, right? The sea can turn over even the biggest of ships. It can drown people, can overcome waves and tsunamis, can overcome beaches and fortifications and take down homes and cities. Amen? So sailing is a dangerous occupation. And everyone there, whether you're prison, 
prisoner, a, a soldier, or a, a sailor, everyone in the ship, no matter what their role or position in society, in this, at this point in this ship are all in the proverbial same boat, right? Everyone is in the same boat. The beginning of chapter 7, it again moves to the first person plural, we, right? First part of Acts, whatever, it's, you know, it changes back to we. we. Who's this we, right? And we remember in discussing this earlier in Acts that the we is most likely all of, uh, the apostle who's writing the book, right? Luke, who's the uh, writer of Acts, is one of Paul's many companions who is traveling alongside with him as he's on his missionary journeys. But wait, Paul's a prisoner right now, so how is Luke traveling with him? But as we see, Paul was allowed by his captors to be visited by uh, his brothers and sisters, his people, to take care of him, to feed him, to tend to him. And we learn at the top of chapter 27 and verse 3 that Julius, this commander, this Roman commander, uh, was a kind person, was kind to Paul. And after that, it says he allowed, when they anchored in the port, he allowed Paul to visit some of his friends. So this is amazing, right? Um, but if you think about it, uh, how our prisoners are treated today, right? They're in prison. They're isolated. There's, if they get visitors at, at certain times, only for a set amount of time, and there's all this security, right? Here's Julius, his captor, who's saying, oh, Paul, when we set the port here, go and visit your friends. Go to their house, right? Let them pray for you. Let them take care of you. And so he actually also had travel companions, and we, we can assume Luke was one of them, one of his friends who was actually tending to him and caring for him while he's a prisoner in chains, right? I think this may be a commentary about how kindly some of these prisoners uh, were treated, um, but needless to say, Julius was a kind person. And so we need to, uh, whenever we read one of these stories, especially in the New Testament, we need to think about the characters in the stories. Think about what, who the Holy Spirit or who God has his eye on to transform, to change, right? Because we, we see throughout Acts, we see throughout the New Testament that Jesus has conversations with people, that Paul has conversations with pe people, that Peter has conversations with Peter, uh, people uh, who are transformed through these conversations and through the work of the Holy Spirit and who convert and come to follow the Lord. And we know Julius is kind, right? That there's something, there's some amount of compassion and love in Julius, this Roman commander, and God has his eye, uh, not only on Julius, but this entire ship. It's almost as if everyone is in the same boat and this is Jesus' little church, right? There, a lot of them are pagans, a lot of them are Gentiles, a lot of them don't know about Jesus, but Paul has eyes to see as God sees, right? And no matter what situation you find yourself, 
right? What do we, when we're in a crisis situation, when we're in a hard, the ship is about to sink and we're going down, do we think about loving the people around us in the, who are in the same boat as us, right? All of us have been in the same boat. Think about it. Has there been any point in history of your known history where the whole world, the globe, has experienced the same thing at the same time? Think about that. With corona, the coronavirus pandemic, the entire world is, it was in the same boat, is in the same boat, all together at one point in history. And in this crisis moment, we saw the worst of humanity and the best of humanity, right? When we're in crisis, we're like, forget you. I'm taking care of myself. We saw fighting. We saw arguing. We said, you're not wearing masks. I don't need to wear masks. This, this, back and forth. We saw the politics. We saw all of the tension and the arguments, right? Should we give to that nation our extra vaccine? Should we not? Just resources. When resources and money um, is at stake, the worst of humanity can come out because we get greedy. We are greedy people, right? We live in a scarcity mentality. But also, we heard stories of the best of humanity, right? Healthcare. We talked about healthcare being a, one of the most dangerous occupations in Kerr because a lot of doctors and nurses risked their lives as hospitals were overflowing, right? to care for people, right? First responders risk their lives to care for people in the midst of crisis. And so in crisis, you see both the best of humanity and the worst of humanity come out. And in this boat going towards Rome, we know that what's in Paul's heart is Jesus' words still. You're to go to Rome and witness, be a witness to my gospel in Rome, right? And that's a piece of the original command by Jesus. Go, therefore, and make, make disciples, or go from the, uh, to the ends of the earth, right? From Judea, Jerusalem, uh, to Rome, and to the ends of the earth. Be my witnesses. You are my witnesses. And so this Paul, as a prisoner, going to Rome is living out the initial command of Jesus Christ. The gospel must go to Rome. Uh, so Acts 27, our chapter, traces the harrowing sea journey from Jerusalem to Rome. And this story actually follows many of the conventions of ancient literature in the genre of sea adventurous, right? Dangerous sea adventures. I mean, History is full of literature, right? The Odyssey, you know, what else? Uh, yeah, the Iliad, right? Aeneid, there we go. Uh, about dangerous sea adventures. And a lot of times, commentators focus on this. Um, we look back at it and we see, oh, this sounds too, like, dramatic. It's like a Korean drama, right? It's like, this can't be real, right? This is too much, right? And so today's commentators look back and go, oh, this is too fictional. So they question the historicity of what Paul was writing. But you know, when people were writing back then, they blended hist uh, history and facts and, not 
and uh, fiction differently. They viewed history in a different way, and they expressed history in a different way that, than we look at it. Does that make sense? When we write history books, we say, is it factual? Is it sequential, right? Like, here is the timeline. But we assume because something is factual and something is historical that it must be true, right? History is a science. It must be true. But we know just because you have the facts, it doesn't make it true, right? Because we know the winners in history write history. So it's how you order the facts, how you order the details to shape your narrative, right? So even in today's kind of, oh, history is science and it's ordering of facts, right, doesn't make it true, right? But back then, it was a form of literature. Just because they used the story, a story form um, that was similar to other kind of forms, like this is what an ocean story looks like. This is an adventure story. It doesn't mean they're trying to make it like a history book. What they're trying to show, demonstrate, where the pagans are trying to show maybe the power of this God or that God, the New Testament writers are showing the power of the one God. Amen? In this same story, we're talking about the one true God and Jesus Christ. Are you with me, church? Consider the disciples in the boat with Jesus, fearing for their lives in the storm. Who is the Lord of the winds? Who is the Lord of the waves and the rain? Jesus, what does he do? Right? He's asleep in the boat, and the disciples, the storms come, and they're in a little fishing boat. And they're like, oh, we're going to die. We're so afraid. Crisis, we're going to die. There's no hope at all. Jesus is like, oh. They're like, what are you doing sleeping? We're going down. Jesus is like, chill, right? You, you men of little faith. And he calms, don't you know that I have authority over the winds and the waves and the storms? And he calms the storms, right? And, and we need to see the parallelism in this as well. Because we, we've already mentioned how Paul and his journey, his persecution, um, his trial, um, his journey is similar to that of Jesus' journey to the cross. And there's a lot of connections in Acts to um, Jesus' journey to the cross. And I think this boat on the, the storm of life is, is a similar theme here in Acts, that the storms come and there's hopelessness and despair and the fear for life. And into this, we either panic and give up all hope or the voice of the prophet, the voice of, of the Lord coming, ah, do not worry, do not be afraid. I am in charge of the storms and life. So uh, just the summary in Acts, moving up. Uh, verse 1 through 5 describes uh, travel from Caesarea to Sidon to Seleucia to Myra. If the map's there, can you put that up? Yeah, so they're going from Jerusalem uh, all the way to Rome. Um, 
And then when they get here, they come to a decision place. This is the island of Crete. Uh, they get there. Um, on the south side of Crete, they land at a place called Fair Havens, and they anchor the boat. And the owner of the vessel, the captain, Jul uh, and Julius, must now make a difficult decision. Should they stay here in port and w uh, wait till the, the stormy period of the winter um, is over for like three or so months, and then continue the journey, uh, or continue continue their journey. Um, and Paul, at this point, argues Paul argues that we should stay here in Fair Havens because it's too dangerous to continue westward. And um, we got to recognize here that as the captain and Julius are saying, what should we do? What should we do? They're all, all the advisors are there, all the professional sailors with their anchors on their, tattooed on their arms, right? We know what to do. We're like seasoned, salty sailors. That we got to stop and recognize that Paul, as a prisoner, is interjecting his voice and opinion in a place where he's not invited, right? He's mansplaining. No, I'm just kidding. Right? He's just in, inject, interjecting himself. No, we should stay here. They're like, who are you? This is their world. It's not Paul's. He's not the ship's captain. He's not a sailor. He's not the Roman commander in charge of the ship's cargo and everyone who's in it. But as human beings, once again, they're all in the same boat. All their lives are endangered. Plus, Paul's voice is a different voice altogether. Paul's voice is the prophet's voice conveying the vision and leadership of the Holy Spirit, right? And Julius does not, end, does not heed Paul, but listens um, to all the uh, experts around him, and they decide to continue on, to, break, to risk, it all, risk it and go uh, push forward. Um, but as they're headed out, if you can see this point, so they decide... Julius decides, let's go. So they go, and a big nor'wester, which is a big storm, almost like hurricane strength, hits them, um, and it bat starts to batter the ship. And um, they, they do all of these, they uh, do all of these things to save themselves. So when we're in a crisis situation, when a boat's going down, what do you do? You start... Cutting bait, right? A fisherman cutting bait. My, if you've gone fishing and bottom fishing and your uh, line has been snagged on the ground and you're like, oh, it's stuck again at the bottom of Puget Sound. What do you do sometimes? You cut bait and you go, oh, I got to set the bait again. You cut it, right? And so they start to do things to cut weight, to, to make their boat safer, to, to, to survive. No longer is the cargo important. The most important thing is life and saving their lives. So what? They do a, a few things. They pull up the lifeboat to keep it from flooding, right? They pull the lifeboat onto the boat. It, this is basically an insurance policy, right? When a boat goes down, you have your lifeboats. All of us have seen Titanic, right? The lifeboat, right? It's their insurance policy. 
They fastened ropes around the bow to literally tie the boat together tighter so it doesn't, to keep it from tearing apart, right? They also lower all the sails, but one, but one small sail. And they throw out some of the cargo and equipment overboard. They're like, oh, some of this food, you know, some of this drink, some of the, oh, my, my important books. We're throwing it off um, to make the boat lighter. But as the storm continues to rage, it is becoming clear for those of you who used to watch Gilligan's Island, the minnow would be lost. The minnow would be lost. <laughs> the scripture says, all hope of our being saved from this peril faded. All hope was lost. And desperate times required desperate measures. The ship and its passengers must cut bait. Have you ever been in this place facing peril? facing danger, facing tragedy. In desperate times, we cut bait. We mortgage the farm. We trim down to the bare essentials in order uh, to keep the most important things. We realize the things that gave us confidence before, the objects we relied on to feel secure have proven to be ineffectual, have shown themselves unable to save us from our situation Conventional wisdom doesn't matter. The best advice doesn't matter. Knowledge doesn't matter. Your degree doesn't matter. Your resume doesn't matter. Your money doesn't matter. Your portfolio doesn't matter. Nothing matters. All you have is God. Have you ever been in this place? Have you ever been in a place where all you had left was to get down on your knees and pray? God, help me. God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. Sorry for being so prideful. Sorry for forgetting about you. Sorry for believing in this thing that's not of you. Have you ever been in that place? If you can put it on the next slide, uh, the, the questions. I'm sorry, that's what we got. Oh, okay, okay. Um, let's reflect on this. Have you ever been in this place, the storm in your life? What did you pray in those times? Did God answer? Did you promise God anything? I remember the times when I'm on my knees and desperate. I'm like, God, I promise you my firstborn if you'll just answer this prayer, right? I'll never, never, never get angry at a stranger again. I'll never road rage again. If you just answer this prayer. What did you pray? What did you give? What did you promise to God? What did God answer you? Just think about a time in your life when you were in a desperate storm. Did you lose anything? How about this? What cargo did you end up throwing overboard? What did God ask you to cut that you realized wasn't important at all?
In the midst of this, Paul is the prophet voice, the prophetic voice of hope, the one pointing to life in Jesus Christ. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And they're in this boat. They're like this, the church of Christ, these sailors, these prisoners, these soldiers. And Paul's voice, the more their lives are threatened, the more they're in despair, the more they begin to listen to Paul, who's saying, I heard, right? We see in verse 22, now I urge you to be encouraged. Not one of your lives will be lost, though we lose. We're going to lose this ship, but none of you are going to die. Last night, an angel from God to whom I belong, let me tell you about the God I belong to you, who I worship. That angel stood beside me, and the angel said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Indeed, God has graciously given you everyone sailing with you. Be encouraged. And I have faith in God that it will be exactly as he told me. However, we must run aground on some island. Right? I have faith that we will be saved. Our lives will be safe. But we're going to lose everything, <laughs> right? Just so you know. Why can't I have everything and be saved? Ah. <laughs> Think of the many travelers in the Bible and how God equips them for the journey and challenges ahead. God's people throughout Scripture travel light. The people in the Exodus, as they leave Egypt, are to be ready. God commands them to be ready to travel with sandals, traveling cloak, and a walking staff. They're to pack light, and their bread is what? Unle unleavened. They're to bake unleavened bread, right? Flat bread, so it's easy to carry. It's, they can pack it, and it's easy to carry, right, as they go into the desert. While they're in the desert and they're hungry, God brings manna from heaven. But what does he say? Don't collect it. Don't store it, right? Don't put it in your, stuff it in your bag. Don't hoard it. But just take what you need for that day because each day I'm going to provide for you. Travel light. Trust in me. <clears throat> uh, remember Elijah in the desert running from Jezebel. Right? God just proved himself, right, to the prophets of Baal, right? God used Elijah to say, I'm, I'm going to light this altar on fire. I'm the God of the universe. But now he's on the run from Jezebel, and he runs for his life, and he sits under a bush, and he's like, take my life, God. I don't want to live anymore. Right? And an angel wakes up Elijah and feeds him and says, eat, drink. God tends to his faithful ones. Young David refuses Saul's high-performance armor. He's like, under armor and like all the best gear to face Goliath. And David says, no, I don't need the armor. I'm going to travel light. I'm just going to take five stones and this sling right here. And he kills Goliath. Jesus himself fasting in the wilderness and being tended to by God's angels 
Jesus' disciples being sent out two by two into towns. And Jesus says, don't take your big suitcases and all your possessions, but just a cloak, sandals, right, and a little bit of this, and rely on the hospitality of the people in the towns that you witness to. God's people travel light. God's people are often in desperate situations with little or no resources, having to cut bait, having to strip down, having only five loaves and two fish, or like Jonah, running away on the sea, only to volunteer to cast himself into uh, the sea to appease the angry storms, the giant fish's belly, fasting in the desert. When you have to cut bait, when you've been stripped down, been swallowed by the whale, when have you traveled in poverty? God's people travel light and are forced into harrowing, dependent situations because in these experiences, the salvation and grace of God shines through. God saves. Amen. God saves. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are our savior, that you are salvation, and that sometimes we have to have nothing in order to see that you are everything. Help us, like Paul, the apostle Paul, to also witness to your salvation and to your hope, a hope that the world doesn't see, the hope that the world doesn't know, to point to hope, uh, the true hope that's in you, um, in every situation, around any, all the, any people that we find ourselves in relationship with, help us to point towards your hope and to be storytellers um, of your uh, good news of your gospel. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.